Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. So lately I've been starting a few minutes late because I've been studying and been very interested in what I'm studying and I can't stop studying. That's my excuse. That's a good excuse. I'm getting absorbed. And Prabhupada, I'm reading different things Prabhupada's saying about the spiritual world and in trying to understand the spiritual world, we're always we're always a little bit out of a loss because as we said yesterday, we're trying to relate it to this world and it doesn't relate to this world. And then sometimes we are coming across statements which appear difficult to understand or contradictory to other statements. So that it's actually good in a sense because it causes us to think more, as we said. If you don't understand something, it causes us to think more about it. So that's good. And in our discussion, many times uh, we've come up with the question of where we came from, how we fell, and so forth. And that has also been what seems to be a straightforward issue. The more we study it, it's not so seemingly straightforward. And that also causes us to think more about it. Uh, but specifically what I like about discussing the fall of the jiva issue, which Prabhupada said, don't worry about it, what what I like about it is the philosophical part of how the jiva becomes conditioned by the modes of nature. Then you, you get a, a clear idea, more clear idea of going from pure consciousness to impure consciousness, which is simply a covering of the three modes of nature. And Krishna consciousness exists behind those three modes, behind that covering. And that when that covering is removed, Krishna consciousness is there, which is, I find it a very beautiful thought. We had talked about this before, that by nature we're Krishna conscious. And and in the conditioned state, some, uh, it sometimes seems difficult. How will I ever be Krishna conscious? How will I ever achieve prema? It seems either far distant, many lifetimes, or impossible. And Prabhupada gives the example, sometimes when you're very sick, you can't really imagine being healthy, and you actually forget what it was like to be healthy, especially if you've been sick for a long time. And so sometimes our position is like that. We've been sick for so long, we, we can't imagine what it's like to be healthy. And thinking about being healthy almost seems unnatural, foreign to us. So I always feel that it's very helpful, if, if not essential, to understand that we are Krishna conscious. There's just something covering it. So if you just uncover what's covering it, the Krishna consciousness comes out. That's who we are. So I think that's important to recognize. It makes, it, it makes the process of Krishna consciousness at least seem easier and that I'm just uncovering my consciousness rather than trying to manufacture it or create, create it from scratch. That's not what we're doing. And we're, we'll read some things here, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. And Prabhupada, uh, questions were asked Prabhupada about rasa. How, what is your rasa? And he, he explains that it will become evident, that your rasa will become evident. You don't have to worry about it. And as it becomes evident, you can cultivate it you know, through Raghunuga Bhakti. So the point is that these things are natural. Nitya Siddha Krishna Prema. Krishna Prema is there. It's covered. So, living entity is pure. 
they turn their back to Krishna, then Maya comes and, and Maya becomes the master now, rather than Krishna the master, Radha the master, Yoga Maya the master, the Chit Shakti, the Sarup Shakti of Krishna being the master. Maya becomes the master. It's a different energy, has a different effect. <coughs> and sometimes, sometimes, I, I see Maya a little bit like a drug and it has a certain effect on you. And Krishna consciousness is another drug and has a different effect on you. And when you take drugs, you act differently. You're like a different person. So when we're under the modes of nature, we're like one person. And when we're under Krishna's protection of his daivi energy, his divine energy, then we're a different person. So, and then when you understand this basic idea, when you turn your back on Krishna, Maya takes takes over and then you are being controlled by the modes of nature and that when you're free of the modes of nature, you're being controlled by the internal potency. It makes the philosophy easier to understand, more clear. So Prabhupada said once, uh, there was a discussion, I forget the exact context, but it was the context of being controlled. Everyone's controlled. Even Alexander the Great was controlled. One sadhu said, yeah, you're not the... You don't control everything because you you can't control your mind and senses. And Alexander said, yeah, that makes sense. He accepted that. Because Alexander thought he was the controller of everything. And this sadhu said, no, not everything. Not your own mind. Not your own senses. So Prabhupada, in this conversation, they were talking about being controlled by Maya, as far as I remember. And then, then the idea is, well, when you're in the spiritual world, you're free, you're not controlled. And Prabhupada said, no, it's not exactly like that. He said, you're actually controlled. He said, you're always controlled, but in the spiritual world, you're controlled by the internal potency. In the material world, you're controlled by the external potency, but you're always controlled. That was the idea. So that's interesting. They never full freedom, you always be controlled, but it's just like when you love someone, you're controlled by their love. So what are you controlled by in the spiritual world? You're controlled by your love for Krishna. And what are you controlled by in the material world? You're controlled by lust. Um, <clears throat> talk about surrender to Krishna amongst the material and spiritual challenges. Yeah. Hmm. There are challenges. You have challenges? How could you have challenges? You chant Hare Krishna. No challenges. Um, okay, so she so Vijay Lakshmi asked about the question of surrender. And Krishna in the Gita says when you're here in this prison house, the laws are run by Maya. But if you want to get out of the prison house not be run by the laws of Maya, then you surrender. And then once you surrender, you come, to, you come under my control. So surrendering to Krishna means under the control of the internal potency. So, and you're asking about how, about how surrender, what was the question? Surrender. We're going to actually have care time. Surrender to Krishna amongst the material challenges. Um, I'll give a simple answer. Is there anything else? You have better better solution, or the question was how to do it when you don't want to do it, or when the challenges come. the The point is to not focus on the challenges, to focus on Krishna, and 
surrender, service, all of this. That's the point. I don't know, it's a hard question for me to answer because for me, whenever there's challenges, I always surrender more because I need more help. Some people say, um, you know, talk about how to surrender in challenges. To me, that's when you surrender more, naturally, because you need more help. And if you don't, then you're just trying to fight it yourself. Or you're trying to, or you're, you, you want to give up on your spiritual life because you think Krishna was supposed to give you a Mercedes Benz and a palace and three servants and an amazing husband and amazing children if he actually loves you. And so sometimes when some challenge comes, then you might lose faith thinking that Krishna was supposed to give something better, different, right? Not exactly true. It's not, not, you know, Vijay Lakshmi, when, when we're in difficulty and we're thinking, well, this is not fair, Krishna shouldn't have done this, then we're actually taking the position of, we're taking a superior position to Krishna because we're saying he did something wrong and I know better. So just meditate on that, write that down. Krishna did something wrong and I know better. And hang that on your wall and look at that and you'll realize that is the stupidest thing anyone could ever say. But sometimes we think that way. When we think, why I didn't deserve this? Why did Krishna do this? We're doubting what he's doing or we're just not accepting our karma. So to me, when there's difficulties, that is not a time to doubt Krishna, that's a time to accept him. I heard this statement the other day. Um, when difficulties come, don't think what they're doing to you. Do think what they're doing for you. In other words, you can use them to push you forward. And that's that's we know that <coughs> that Krishna uses difficulties to push us forward. So we think, oh, look what these difficulties are doing to me, and then we get pushed down under the pressure of those difficulties, and then we go down. Instead of thinking, oh, look what these difficulties are doing for me. Oh, Krishna, things are difficult. You're doing this for me. So if we think you're doing it to me and I don't deserve it, we lose faith. If, you, if we think you're doing it for me, to help me, then we surrender more. So anyway, I, I think, you know, sometimes I look at, I look at the, the challenges devotees have and the way they process them. And sometimes they process them in ineffective ways. And I wonder, this doesn't make sense. Why are they thinking this way? And even, even sometimes we'll see non-devotees process, process difficulties in better ways. as challenges, ways to grow, being pushed to move forward, and so forth. And then, then I think Maya really, really works a number on devotees. Really, really tries to bamboozle them, bewilder them. So much so that when there's difficulties, instead of moving forward, they move backward, they give up. Whereas many people who aren't devotees will move forward in difficulties. They go, oh, she really, she doesn't mind if they move forward because they're just moving forward into more maya. <laughs> so she doesn't have to bamboozle them. They're already bamboozled. They're already confused. 
But with devotees, we're moving to Krishna, so she's got to do a number on us that she doesn't have to do on non-devotees. And that's why sometimes you'll look at a devotee and sometimes you'll think, why is a devotee doing that? You're a devotee, you shouldn't do that. And But the answer is, Maya works harder on devotees. Sometimes Maya makes devotees do foolish things. You know, And often we say, why? Why do devotees do this? Devotees aren't supposed to do that. And, and we all agree, yes, we're not supposed to do that. Even my brother wouldn't do that. My uncle wouldn't do that. My friends would, and this devotee did it. Sometimes Maya really works on us. And, you know, we're, we're trying to become free from her clutches. Your mother, your uncle, listen, if they're not devotees, they're not trying to become free. Maya's a pilot. But she can't put a devotee on autopilot because devotees are always trying to get out of her. Everybody else is working very hard for material things, so she doesn't have to worry about them. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you'll see a non-devotee very enthusiastic, very inspired, very happy, and you look at a devotee, oh, a devotee's not as inspired as this person, and they don't even seem as happy as this person. Yeah, the more inspired and happy that person is, the more they're in Maya. So Maya's like, yeah, fine, you know. Uh, in this part of your life, you can be successful and not have problems. It'll just keep you in Maya. But for a devotee who's trying to get out of Maya, sometimes she comes and is like, okay, we're going to really confuse you. And, and you, when you have difficulty, we're just going to kind of make you give up and lose faith in Krishna, which makes no sense. Okay, we're on to something. And it's already 15 minutes. I haven't even done kirtan, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen because you have many comments, and we haven't even started reading. And that was just one question. Uh, uh, I just happened to see... Um, I wasn't really paying attention. You like that statement, Krishna consciousness is who we are. I made that yesterday. Um, okay, let me talk about that for a minute. Now we're getting... Christe said, I think it was in this class yesterday, I mentioned that, that your self-identity is connected with all, it's connected with your habits, the way you do things, your beliefs, and so forth. And so if she's a Krishna conscious of my identity, my, I identify myself as a devotee, identify myself as a, a person trying to be saintly, uh, it helps you act that way. And we can give an example, just like we're all, we don't eat meat, we're veg you know, you, you could say, as a devotee, you identify yourself as vegetarian, although you don't think that way, but, but practically speaking, we do. So we, we identify ourselves as vegetarian. Okay. So we know as devotees, being vegetarian is quite easy. We, we, if, we were ever in a situation where we were hungry or whatever, offered meat, we wouldn't take it. Our identity as a devotee in this regard, as being vegetarian, eating only Krishna prasadam, it's 100%. So because of that, the self-identity is the way you act. It's a point of psychology. And it's an important point to understand and take advantage of. That Your identity determines how you act. Interesting, right? You know, like if I think I'm good at something, generally I'll do it better 
then if I think I'm not good at it, even if my skill level is the same, and that's so interesting, and, and you all know this from your experience, you know, oh, yeah, I could do that, and you go out and do it. And something else which you're equally qualified to do and is equally as easy, and you think, I don't think I can do that well. You won't do it as well as you could have, would have, if you thought, oh, I can do that well. It's a fact of psychology. As you identify, you identify your ability or your self-concept, I'm a this kind of person, you'll tend to act that way. So if we can identify ourselves as Krishna servants, of course, that's basic philosophy, but we, we don't always identify ourselves deeply as a sadhu. I'm a sadhu. I can't act this way. A sadhus only act this way. No, it's not even like that, that you, you would think, I can't act this way. If you identify yourself deeply as a devotee, you just wouldn't act as a non-devotee. It wouldn't be a conscious thing. It's just, it goes subconscious. So that would point, I don't know if you all picked up on that point yesterday. That's a point that Krishna was, I guess she was just expressing from yesterday what she appreciated. And that's such a powerful point. You act according to your self-conception. My self-conception is I'm a devotee. At least I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be saintly. That's how I identify, I identify myself as a person who is... Um, you could say aloof uh, to some degree from the cultural, from at least the cultural values don't don't exist in my heart. The values of a devotee exist in my heart. I am a devotee at my core. Then you'll tend to act like a devotee. Follow the principles of devotional service. Sometimes they're hard to follow, but if you're a devotee and you identify that to your core, they're easier to follow or easier. How could I do X, which is wrong, if I'm identified very closely as a devotee? It would, it would be awkward. It would be out of alignment. It would... So meditate on that. It's powerful. And it's just, it's just using the realities of our own psychology that we act according to self-conception. So, you know, and we all, like I said, we all have experience of that. Oh, I could never do that. That's so hard. And that's, you know, you have this self-conception that you're not good at something and that something's difficult. And like I said, even if it's not true, it will be difficult for you because of that identity. Interesting. Anyway, we could give a whole class on that, but for now we won't. Okay. Sangeet is saying, I was thinking, same question in my mind, how to surrender to the Lord, so many challenges we go through. And that's the only... Only thing to do is when you have challenges to surrender. I would say, you know, the question that comes to my mind more is how to surrender when everything is great. And someone might say, well, when everything is great, it's easy to surrender. But often it's not. It's like, why do I need to surrender? Everything is fine. Pass the Bakura, everything is great. You know, you chant your arms, I'll get them done sooner or later. And then you see them the next day something horrible has happened and you would think, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, you know, they would be praying more. That's, that's what seems normal to me. So to me, the question is more, how do I, sur how do I surrender when everything's great? <laughs> because when everything's bad, your only shelter is Krishna. And really you don't have any shelter anywhere. And if we don't surrender to Krishna when things are bad, what are we doing? We're, turn to, we're turning towards maya, the three modes of nature, for a solution. 
Maybe you should write on a piece of paper, Maya does not provide solutions, just to remind you that when things are difficult, look to Maya for your solutions. Look to Krishna. Maya might provide an illusory solution, a temporary solution, not a real solution. So that's, that's my two cents on that. I don't know if you want me to talk more about it, uh, then you can just put a comment that could you talk more about this or ask a question about this. Yeah, okay, so this is a good one. Sangeet is feeding back what I said. Focus on Krishna, do not focus on challenges. All right, you would focus on the challenge only long enough to come up with a solution. When I say don't focus on the challenges, I mean people focus on the challenges in a negative way and they let those challenges get to them. And so they become discouraged or depressed or lifeless. Oh, it's so bad, so difficult, or frustrated, or angry. Have you noticed I'm not sneezing? You know why? There's no pollen. I'm not taking any medication. There's no pollen for the last few days. Pollenless. Right, yeah, now I'm going to... As soon as you say, you know why I'm not sneezing, then I'll start sneezing. That ever happened to you before? Oh, I haven't done... I haven't, you know hurt myself in three years, and then you break your leg the next half hour. Okay, well, let's see if I sneeze today. So I learned something a few years ago that was amazingly simple. And sometimes the things that are, are most meaningful are extremely simple. And I learned that if you focus on what is discouraging you, if you focus on things that are bothering you, things which are troublesome. It puts you on a downward spiral. It just zaps your energy totally, and you just become frustrated, discouraged, and pretty much lifeless. Which is kind of what the news, it's kind of what happens if you watch news too much. You kind of, ah, oh, it's so bad. Ah, oh, I just want to go back to Godhead. Maybe we should all have watch news 15 minutes a day as part of our sadhana, as an impetus to go back to Godhead. But, but, of course, bad news seems to be what sells. But it, the world's not all bad. It's just news focuses on what's bad. And you always have that experience, isn't it, if you watch too much news or you hear some horrible story about how people are suffering at the hands of nature or worse, at the hands of cruel cruel people who are exploiting them. Uh, I just, you know, I'm just... My wife was uh, showing me something last night about Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence. He had slaves. I was like, okay, that's pretty disgusting. And a lot of the founders of America had slaves. Oh, that's really disgusting. You know, so you just... You contemplate things like that. You get disgusted, discouraged. And my wife, she was, she was saying, "I don't want to be an American anymore. Let's move to Australia. Americans are really bad." You know, you go in the history, you know, of Americans and slavery and the, and the leaders, and then it it gets worse when you see what they did to the American Indians. They're equally as bad. And so. <laughs> If you if you have challenges and difficulties and you're not focusing on the solutions, you're just focusing how bad the challenges are. 
You're going to become a mess. You're going to become one miserable human being. So my philosophy is, which I share with everyone, when there's a problem, focus on solutions because solutions are positive and solutions give energy. Don't focus on the problem. And if you don't have a solution, just, just okay, I don't have a solution for this right now, so don't dwell on it because it'll discourage you. So this is very, very important. And you all know when the problems are difficult and you're having a hard time with them, you're focused on the problems. Maybe uh, as you're asking these questions, it means you're focused so much on the problems that you don't want to chant or you, 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 all your time is taken up focused on the problem. can't live life that way. That's, un, that's not productive or healthy. Doubting on Krishna and not accepting our karma. Yeah, that's another big one. It's almost like saying, Sankita, it's almost like saying, Krishna, why did you send me my karma? I don't deserve my karma. <laughs> why did you send me my karma? I don't deserve it. I thought I was a devotee. I don't have karma. You know, that, that's actually what we're saying, isn't it? Why did you send, maybe we can make, make a t-shirt. Why did you, why did I get my karma? I don't deserve it. Or it's like, I don't deserve my karma. Krishna, why did you send me my karma? I don't deserve it. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? To write these things down. I'll never remember these things I say. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying them. Krishna's saying them. I hope he's saying it. Isn't it like that, Sankita? Krishna, why did you send me my karma? And then the next line. Why didn't you send me the karma of Bill Gates? Isn't it? Or some some successful person? Of course, for devotees, we're probably more like, why not get the karma of a great devotee? But maybe in a subtle way, we think you know, we we like we're all looking at our karma and saying, mm, got some good points and some bad points. Why can't I get the karma of someone else? And so the something bad comes in, like, Krishna, you, you don't love me anymore? And Krishna is saying, no, it's just your karma, and this will help you. And, and we're, we're trying to be smarter than Krishna, saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think you need to do that. You know, it's not fair. I'm your devotee. I, I did so much service for you, and now you're giving me this problem. That's not fair. Why are you doing that? You know, and then we're judging Krishna again and putting ourselves above him, like he doesn't know what he's doing and I have to tell him, right? Krishna, sit down. I'm going to tell you what to do. You, know, I mean, you're, you made a mistake with me. You should have given, done this and that. Like, So go back to your office and you know, reprogram it and give me this and that. You know, that. We're so stupid. We're so stupid, it's unbelievable. We think we, think we can... We think we can... Get, be a consult God's consultant. Oh, sit down, I'll tell you what to do. You're not doing it right. Are we foolish or are we foolish? You're right, we're foolish. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, you mentioned one day something like, when Maya beats you, it means Krishna loves you. <laughs> okay, another t-shirt. We're going to have 108 t-shirts. And you know, we're just, we're just, 
the t-shirts are going up on this website. You can buy them, but I think we only have one now. We're waiting for everyone to, to design them. When my, you know, Prabhupada said, Prabhupada said, uh, Maya actually, Maya actually is trying to help you. Prabhupada said, she actually, if you're a devotee, she actually doesn't want you to stay here. She wants you to go back to Godhead. And so Maya is really on the side of devotees. And then Prabhupada said, when you become free from her influence, you'll just she's very happy. She's not going to try to pull you down. She's not going to try to, you know, get into your pure heart and contaminate it. It's, it's only because we want her that she's there. And you decide to become a devotee, even though she's strong, she'll help you. You know, she'll. If if you really want something and it's causing you to forget Krishna and it doesn't work out, what could be better than that? And then immediately you'll realize, oh, that was the bad. It was wrong. When Maya beats you, it means Krishna loves you. Good song, huh? Somebody want to write a tune for it? Write the rest of the words. Krishna Karshan is saying, what about the situation when we see that our friend devotee is making a mistake and we want to protect him or her from disaster? It is not also a sign of trying to be a controller, sometimes thinking we know better, especially when they didn't ask you. Do we know better what is good for the devotee? Should we try to help or just leaving the situation the way it is, having faith that Krishna knows better? <clears throat> Either way, depends on the situation. You can be a culprit for trying to help them and they don't want you to help them, or they already know what to do, or whatever you tell them they already know. You could be the culprit for not helping them because you could help them. There are other factors to consider, the relationship, how it affects you, how it affects your life. Sometimes trying to help somebody and they're very difficult, <laughs> then their problem becomes your problem, and then you have the same, the same effect of you're thinking about this negative thing and this devotee's ruining their life. You know, Prabhupada's attitude was he tried to help as best he could, but he was aloof, and, and he'd say, okay, now you do it, what more can I do? So there has to be some also aloofness when you're helping people. That, And um, my personal philosophy is if I give good instruction to somebody and they can't follow it well, then I'll help them to follow it, clarify it, work with them. But after like three times of me telling them like the same thing again and again, and they're just they're not doing it and they're, they're go, we're going in circles, then I realize that I am not the person that can help them. They may need someone else. Oftentimes they need therapy. So you have to understand that. You know, sometimes we're trying to help people that, are, that have problems that we're not qualified to help. So that's another situation. Or we may not be the best person to help them. Or, as I said, may be disruptive to our life. And they would have to want the help. And you're asking, does that mean we're trying to be the controller? If they didn't ask for your help, definitely could mean you're trying to control and things that are not your business to control. So you, know, you have to make judgments in every situation. It's a good question, but I don't think we can give an answer for every situation.
Uh, it's interesting, Jyotirmayi says, this is, this is in, Jyotirmayi means full of light, right? Jyoti means light and Mayi means full of. You are full of light. You are the servant of one full of light. This is a very interesting point of view. That for devotees, <laughs> is harder. Yes. The Prabhupada said, to become a devotee is to declare war on Maya. Before you're a devotee, you never said to Maya, okay, let's go outside and settle this. You know, we've got to fight about this. I don't want you in my life anymore. You never said to Maya, it's like, oh, yeah, you don't want me. In okay. Yeah, well, I'm going to see. You think you're a devotee? Well, let's see. I'll test you. And Prabhupada said that. Said well, he said Krishna will test you, but Krishna tests you. He has the whole use Maya right? different agencies. So Maya saying, "Oh, you're a devotee now. You think you're a devotee? <laughs> okay, you know, I'm going to send Bhaktin Betsy with the blonde hair and blue eyes. See what kind of devotee you are now." The other, the other problem. I think we discussed it yesterday. The other problem is when you give up something, sometimes it appears more attractive. Yeah, we discussed that yesterday. So that's also inherent within the the, the psychology of renunciation. You know, the thing you're not supposed to do is the thing you start thinking about doing. Long ago, I, I told the story of this this big guru. I was in India in 1983 in Mumbai for about three months. I'm not sure why I was there. Doing some healing, taking some therapy. I had just left Mauritius and I was on my way to Europe and I spent time in Mumbai to do some healing. I had a problem with my leg, <clears throat> which they didn't heal, <clears throat> but I got to spend three months in Juhu. So once Sridhar Maharaj and I went into town and on the way back there was a big, big guru, one of the biggest gurus in India, speaking in a park in a wealthy area. <clears throat> About 100, 200 young people were listening to him. And he gave an example. He said, one time there is a guru and he told his disciple, he said, tomorrow morning when you are chanting don't think of a broom. Oh, that's easy. I never think of a broom. So tomorrow morning, he thinks, <laughs> he thinks, okay, I'm not supposed to think of a broom. Uh-oh, by <laughs> thinking I'm not supposed to think of a broom, guess what I thought of? You're right. You thought of a broom. Exactly. So sometimes the like renunciation side draws in the attraction. What I'm not supposed to do becomes the thing I think about. Oh, I'm not supposed to think about the opposite sex. The opposite sex is really bad. It's a really entanglement. And that's the whole problem in the material world is that the opposite sex is so attractive. And you know, So what am, I, what am I doing? I'm thinking about the opposite sex. You know, sometimes you have these classes about, you know, Sex is bad, sex this and that. It's like the whole class, you know, you're thinking about sex by trying to not think about it. It's so interesting. Isn't that funny? Have you ever thought like that? 
the whole class was about how we shouldn't think about sex, and I was thinking about it the whole class because I was told not to think about it. Something you might consider, you know, when you're giving class, you may not want to dwell on something we're not supposed to be thinking about. But it's, it's just, this world is crazy. <clears throat> I think this world is crazy, but I like to joke about it because at least if it's crazy, we can laugh about it. And we can laughing detaches us. But the reality is that often when you give up something, you become more attracted to it. When you have it, it's like, well, I have it, I'm used to it, take it for granted. I give it up. And I think a lot of us, at some point in, in devotional service, started to feel attraction for material things more strongly than we felt them before we were devotees. Because as devotees, it's kind of like we were, our senses were kind of submerged all the time in the objects of the senses. And then you, you take them away. And you take them away and... <laughs> You know, you've been fasting, you kind of get hungry sometimes if you're not until the point where you're completely detached. There's a story that prasadam wasn't nice, and Prabhupada said, The prasadam must be very nice, it's the only sense gratification that the devotees have. So, Prabhupada was recognizing this point, you know, you're renouncing everything, at least give them good prasadam, otherwise, they might, you know, tear the walls down blow up something, you know, beat up somebody. It's almost like that for some devotees, you know, giving something up somehow makes it more attractive. And then Maya comes in and says, oh, now you've given this up, I'm going to make it more attractive. So it's, it's war on Maya, so Maya is going to pick on you. Maybe you'll see a non-devotee and they're having less trouble than you're having in some area. Well, that's interesting. They're, well, Maya's after you. Be careful, everyone, and that's why we should chant good japa, because if you do, then you don't have to worry. <clears throat> Get up early, chant good rounds, be a good devotee, read Prabhupada's books, then no problem. You can do it. Christe says that one lecture, one the female devotees of Prabhupada, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, said that when we try to advance, advise others, how they should act in life, we are playing the role of God. Yes. We don't know what Krishna has in plan for that person, and by our advices, we might be redirecting them from the plan. That's an interesting idea. Okay, Prabhu, it looks like you're going to like run into a fire, but I think... This is probably Krishna's plan, so I'm not going to tell you. I think that they would have to understand the context. Uh, I understand that in some cases, for sure. We may just want to let them crash because they need to. Yeah, I, she was probably referring, I bet she was referring to Grihasta life. <laughs> Sometimes you can't, you can't instruct them. You can't instruct, or maybe a hard-headed person, you can't instruct them and they're just going to have to go through life and learn that way. Yeah, that's true sometimes. It, you know, it all depends on your relationship with that person and what they expect from you, doesn't it? Oh, I forgot that I didn't clean my phone. It's time to take a cleaning break, and because I'm not Krishna West, it's another advantage of not being Krishna West. You can clean your phone with your dhoti. 
No, we're just joking here. I like Krishna West. There are many advantages of not being Krishna West. We had discovered last week you could blow your nose, although I don't advise blowing your nose in your dhoti, and you can clean your phone. You can dry your hands. Well, so many advantages. That, you know, but it's actually true. You know, like, dhotis are like big diapers. No, but there's a reason, you know. You know the main reason dhotis are cool? They're never in fashion and they're never out of fashion. So you don't have to go to the dhoti shop and go, okay, what's the latest fashion on dhotis? Oh, well, the latest fashion is actually from 1843. when That's the last fashion that we have on dhotis. Since then, nothing's changed. So that's kind of the idea, you know. It's nondescript clothing. <laughs> it's just, you know, just put your diaper on and, you know, go to work. And it's simple, you don't have to think about it. And if you're really, really into dressing up, you can get one with a border and you know, kind of strut, strut your stuff around town with your, show everybody your border. Hey, look at my border, it's really cool. But that's about as far as you can get, you know? So <laughs> it's still pretty simple. Anyway, we're having fun here. Question from Ankush. Why devotees blame other devotees for any faults? Why such high standards? Why they blame other devotees? Or why they fault other devotees? Or why they see the faults in other devotees? Um, for not following standards? Well, th there could be many reasons why. Uh, one reason may be because you're trying to help them and they're not following the standard. Another reason is that you're not following the standard and you see them not following the standard. And it reminds you that you're not following the standard and you just get frustrated and tell them they're not following the standard. Um, it may be because we bring everybody down to our level. There's many, many reasons why we find fault. It may be we're a very unhappy person. You know, my, my bottom line understanding for those who find fault is there's some level of dissatisfaction and unhappiness in their heart, in their lives, that causes them to, to want to be focused on other people's faults. I mean, think about it. If you had a choice, you know, choices of things to think about, you know, why would you want to be thinking about other people's faults? It doesn't seem like that's the best choice of things to think about. Even just from the material point of view, for your own happiness and your own well-being, thinking of another person's fault is not, it's not good. But to speak of disastrous spiritually, especially if you're faulting an advanced devotee, but just even materially, it doesn't make sense. So many things you could think about. Why do you want to think about what another person is doing wrong? Um, in, in when you do it, you just torment yourself. So my, my thought on this, amongst other things and other reasons, the obvious one, we're not Krishna conscious, we're envious and so forth, we're not humble. Those are the spiritual deficits that cause it. But I think another big one well, you could say, as a result of all those deficits, we're not happy, and then not being happy again becomes a stimulus for finding fault. That's my philosophy. Happy people don't find fault. Miserable people find fault, not happy people. You agree? 
isn't it? I mean, look at it, you know. You, so I think it's a general principle. <laughs> or you could say, you could say, you might say, well, I know people who are not miserable and they find fault. Well, they'll become miserable by finding fault. Of course, some people will get inspired by it. But then, if you get inspired by finding fault, there's something wrong with you. You're supposed to get inspired by hearing and chanting about Krishna, not by finding other people's faults. So the whole thing is just messy. And it's a real it's a real weapon of Maya because it can destroy your devotional service very quickly. And so, you know, in higher stages of Krishna consciousness you see the good in everyone. In lower stages of Krishna consciousness you see the bad. So the paradox is that when we see the bad, sometimes we think, Oh, I'm so smart, I can see the I can see what's wrong. Have you ever felt that way? Look at look at that what he's doing. That's wrong. And I'm smart, I can see it. The other the other day, it was yesterday, devotees sent me somebody must have taken from a lecture things that I said about how you shouldn't chant. And they made up a chart. Maybe I'll put it out on the WhatsApp group. If you're not on the WhatsApp group, get on the WhatsApp group. I'll put it on the and one of them was while you're chanting, you're thinking you're chanting better than everyone else. Got your meditation. That's interesting, right? What happened to Trinata Pisunichina? Now I'm chanting and I'm thinking, I'm chanting better than all of you. So Maya is amazing. And we could think that way. Yes? So we think, when I find fault, the reason is, I'm so intelligent that maybe I'm the only one that can see the fault. And all of you others, maybe you don't know Shastra as well. Maybe you're not as smart as I am. Maybe you're not as insightful, intuitive. But the actual reason is they're more humble than you. That's why you're finding the fault. Unless you're finding a fault as a use, <clears throat> as a service to help that person or a service to help your community, uh, to rectify some situation. But if it's just nitty-gritty, grassroots, gossip, fault-finding, we're, we're doing it because we're not humble, not because we're intelligent. And when you understand that, it's much easier to control it. I'm doing this because I'm proud. That's why. And I'm doing it, if I'm doing it excessively for no use, then I have to look at my life. Like, my life must be pretty miserable if this is what's giving me pleasure. Isn't it? Think about it. Okay, this person is criticizing left, right, and center. <clears throat> and then, you know, just think about it objectively. If that's what his life's about, criticizing, he must not have a very good life if this is what gives him pleasure. Right? You agree? If, criti if criticizing gives you pleasure, what does that say? You know, but one who's relishing the holy name, one who's relishing hearing Bhagavatam, one who's fully engaged, blissfully in Krishna's service. <clears throat> That's not what they do. It's not that doesn't give them pleasure. They don't have time for that. Yes? Is that okay? Ajay Nitai Das. More can be said, classes can be said. I have given classes on them. You go to SoundCloud. You will find classes on offending Vaishnavas. Why we offend. I wrote an article also, if you go to my website and newsletters, or if you get my book, Living the Wisdom of Bhakti, on, you can get it on Amazon. 
can download it on Amazon. Amazon. You could get a hard copy also. And one, there's a chapter there called "Who Are You Offending?" It's all about Vaishnava Aparad, and and the reason I titled it that was in the beginning. I just asked, "Well, think about who you're offending. Are you offending anybody right now in your mind? Most offenses are in the mind; they're not spoken. Well, who are you offending now? And then you know, reflect on it. Okay, I'm offending. I'm criticizing. Why? Because I'm proud. That's why, and I'm. Proud and un, I'm an unhappy, proud person. That's why. Unless that criticism is for um, helping. Okay. Being a devotee, we don't eat eggs. However, if there is a situation where your child is throwing arguments saying, free, well, free-range eggs are vegetarian. <laughs> Give me all kinds of scientific proof. Um, it's a tamasic food, that's the answer. It's unclean, and it has a bad effect on your consciousness. Free-range eggs are vegetarian and giving you all kinds of scientific proof to you. How one devotee mother should deal with this kind of situation? Should she say yes, go ahead? No. There's two, two points. First point is, it's tamasic food. And tamasic food has a tamasic effect on our consciousness. That's why we don't eat onions, garlic, and... Some other foods, perhaps, you may wish to avoid. And so, is an unclean food. It's the menstrual cycle of a chicken. If you want to eat a menstrual cycle of a, of a chicken, that, I mean, that's okay. But when you put it in those terms, it's like, oh, never thought of it that way. I'm eating the menstrual cycle of a chicken. It's not very clean. And then the other answer, which is, the universal answer is we can't offer it to Krishna. He doesn't eat eggs. It's it's an unclean food, and we only eat what we offer to Krishna. And that solves the question for anything that people ask, why don't you eat it? Because Krishna doesn't eat it, and we only eat what Krishna eats. Finished. Bas. Finito. Terminado. Nomas. Nomas discussion. Finish. Paboku, no more, nothing more to say. And bas, bas. Krishna doesn't eat it. Everything, everything we eat, we have to offer to Krishna. We can't offer to Krishna what he doesn't eat. Bas, no eggs. Finished. Challenges are like challenges are like only one person believes in Maharaj. And, and Prabhupada and the rest are completely against your devotionals. Challenges are like only one person believes in Maharaj and, and the rest are completely against your devotional service. This is kind of as a big challenge. Hmm. I mean, you're the only person who believes in Prabhupada, everyone's against you, like in your family? Yeah. Well, it can make you stronger in faith. You have no, you have no choice but to be faithful, in in Krishna conscious, right? You have to now. You're surrounded by. Sometimes it's interesting, and it's not, it's not recommended that you would find environments that are not conducive to bhakti. But sometimes when you're in an environment that's not conducive to bhakti, actually makes you more Krishna conscious because you have to. It's like, it's like. 
if I if I drop you in uh, water, let's say the water's four or five feet deep, and you could stand up, <clears throat> and you could walk to shore, you wouldn't learn how to swim. And if I drop you in water that's 20 feet deep, you'd learn how to swim. You'd have to, to get to shore. So it's something like that. These adverse situations can actually be helpful. But you have to figure out how. Ram, Ram Baru said that. Okay. Yeah, well, she's a counselor. So, you know, in counseling, you have to have a relationship. There's some protocol. The person has to want it. And especially in marriage. Honey, can I tell you something that's really bad about you? I just have to tell you that. Can I tell you something that you do wrong all the time that really bothers me? It's more difficult in those kinds of relationships. <clears throat> There's ways to deal with it, but you don't always have to correct your spouse. They can, you can always let them kind of be who they are also. Maybe that's okay. Don't have to control everything. No, no, Prabhu, it says in the Shastra here that the, the husband is God and the wife is the slave, so whatever I say, she should do. You know. Yeah, that's a psychological disease. And then you get someone with a psychological disease and they read these verses and they become like crazy people. So, you know, it's not that we have to, yeah, control and correct everybody and everything. You know, drive everyone, <laughs> everyone in a 10-mile range completely insane. <laughs> Some people are like that, right? Okay, Murphy's Law is always present. Something can go wrong, it sure will go worse, yeah. We can, um, as devotees, <clears throat> we can change the law. If something will go right, it will. If Krishna's mercy is going to come, it will. Yeah, so we have, we have Krishna's law to defeat Murphy's law. But yeah, in the material world, Murphy is like, maybe Murphy's an agent of Maya just to help us. <clears throat> Krishna Karshani says, it seems that we are often creators of our own challenges. Yeah, that's true. And what, what is even worse is we create the challenge and we don't even acknowledge it. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve it. I never, didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. What are you talking about? You did everything to cause this. No, I didn't. I didn't do anything. Yeah, that's you know, the ultimate illusion. I didn't do anything to deserve this. It's Trump's fault. He did it all. Okay, sometimes it's true. There, we have this, you know, karma by association. You get someone else's karma when they do something crazy. Now, that's there also. But <laughs> generally, that's not the case. It's our karma. Focus on solutions. Best advice I could ever give <clears throat> on problems. Oh, we have a ritual before every class. <clears throat> I'm supposed to take one of my medicines from Taiwan. Let's just keep the voice going. <clears throat> so, excuse me. I'll try not to make any noise with this in my mouth. I'll keep it under my tongue. Okay. Paradigm shift. She is on our side. Yeah. Maya, she's on your side. 
She'll take you back to Krishna. If you want to go, don't fight with Maya. That's another thing, don't fight with her. Take shelter of Krishna, there's no Maya. Coaches are often saying that any situation you're in is just perfect for you. There's also a saying that there are no challenges, there are only opportunities. Yeah. That's the words, wise words from our coach today, Krishna Karshani. And the other one, it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. That one is not from me, but I heard it. And people have said that saying has really made a difference, a difference in their life. It's not happening to you, it's happening for you. You like that? <clears throat> that? That, this understanding here can really make a difference in your life. Thank you, Krishna, for smashing me. It's just what I needed. Of course, in the moment, we don't feel so good, but when you look back and you... Rambaru, yeah. I want to control everyone. That's a good one. Laughing detaches us. It does, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we're in the material world. Might as well laugh at it while you're here because you get a good laugh. And I think I'm a coward boy because I like to joke. Maybe. How do I know? We'll find out. It's and you'll say, Prabhu, I like to joke also. Does that mean I'm a coward? Not necessarily. When they say, don't think in the purple elephant in the room, you probably will be thinking about the purple elephant in the room. Exactly. So there's a saying, um, what you focus on expands. And, and the idea of that is, if you want to achieve something, let's say you, even you, you want to overcome a bad habit, don't think about the habit you want to overcome. Think about the quality you want to develop, which would, which would help you overcome, which would be the opposite of that habit. Or like, just to give a, a material example. I don't want to be fat. I don't want to be fat. I'm sick of being fat. I hate fat. What are you meditating on? Fat. What are you going to become? Fat. <laughs> I want to be thin. Thin. Think thin. So think. So whatever you focus on expands. So don't focus on fat. You'll, be, you'll expand your body. Even if you say, I don't want to be. It doesn't work as well as I want to be thin. So I don't want to be in Maya. <clears throat> no. <clears throat> I want to be Krishna conscious. Why waste your time thinking about that you don't want to be a Maya when you could think of Krishna? So that's the idea. <clears throat> it's a good point. What you focus on expands. Don't think what you don't want. Think what you do want. I've, I've applied that in many cases. And I, um, I always tell devotees, you know, think like Bhaktivinotako or Kabe Habe Balasadin. He's, when will that day come? He's, he's thinking about when he'll come to the stage of bhava and prema and what it's going to be like and meditating on the symptoms of that. 
You know, so you could think, when will that day come when I won't be envious? But you could also think, when will that day come when I'll love every, I'll have love for Krishna and all conditioned souls? That's right. So it's a better way of thinking. <clears throat> Plus, it's it's better because it's inspiring. The thought of become loving Krishna is more inspiring than the thought of not being envious because it still means you're focused on the envy. It's just psychology, but you know, some devotees say, no, no psychology is like, you know, like, hello, you have a psychology. You know, use it. Know it, understand it. <clears throat> It'll work for you. There's Vedic psychology. Psychology is not banned. It's just, it's just the nature of the mind. If you understand how the mind works, it can help you tremendously. So this is one way the mind works. And that's why when you listen to my lectures, you'll see there's a lot of psychology in there because it's psychology that will help put you in the right state to become Krishna conscious. So, and make it easier for you. And just work with your mind instead of your mind working against you. Because if you know how your mind works, okay, instead of thinking negatively about what I don't want, I can think positively about what I do want. That works better. According to psychology, it's more inspiring. Okay, now that I understand that, I apply that to Krishna consciousness. It, <clears throat> it applies to material things. So it'll apply to spiritual things. <clears throat> Hare Krishna. I'm losing my voice. Or it's getting quite raspy. Maybe I should make a rock and roll recording after this class because I have the perfect rock and roll voice right now. Hare Krishna. <clears throat> I'm over rock and roll, don't worry. I gave it up when I was 19. Okay, Shamanandini says, sometimes our mind can imagine a situation to be more, to be worse than it actually is. Yeah. Other times when we think a situation to be better than it actually is, the mind can do so nicely. Yeah. Yeah. The thing you should do, the mind says, it's going to be really bad. And the thing you shouldn't do, the mind says, it's going to be really good. So you got to catch the mind in its, in its act of uh, tricking you. It, it's deceitfulness. Just like if, if you're dealing with somebody and they're deceiving you, if you don't catch it, you'll get cheated. But if you catch it, you can stop them. You can call them on it. So call your mind on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You, I know what you're doing. You've done this before. I fell for it before. Never again. I'm not going to fall for it. Good point. I like that point. And, and Maya, you know, Maya's expert. She's like, Maya's the expert illusionist. So she paints all these pictures. We had talked about that. With, remember that class? I was saying Maya's the expert artist. She's an expert artist because she paints these pictures of what it's going to be like. It's never going to be that way. She doesn't paint the picture of the, ba the bad side. She paints the picture of the good side that doesn't exist. Oh, when you do this, this is going to hap happen. And she paints like, like this picture of paradise. Not exactly like that. I felt so following restricted diet. Nothing is there in life. Yeah, you you uh, give up sense gratification and you're like, people, you wanted to, you had the Lord Shiva Shakti, right? You wanted to destroy the universe. Become miserable when your senses aren't satisfied. And you look for anything to satisfy them. That That's why when you become a devotee, you have to really be careful to... to be engaged nicely in a service that inspires you to do your best to, to chant so you can get a taste from chanting, to study every day. 
because you're giving up so much, if you don't replace it, you're going to be in big trouble. You're going to be in big trouble, Prabhus, if you don't replace it. Guaranteed, I'll give you 100% money back. Guaranteed that you will be in big trouble if you don't replace it. Krishna says it's right there in black and white in the Gita. If, if you don't replace it, you're never going to give up that lower taste. Even if you understand, you should give it. I was thinking the other day, I think a lot of us have this problem. Between the head and the heart, we have a roadblock. And so, you know, we get in our head, we're trying to get in our heart, and there's a roadblock. Ever feel that way? Like, you know, there's like a big wall between your head and your heart, and nothing gets through that wall. Like big security guards there. You're not getting that knowledge into your heart. No way. It's not going. So so that's that's the problem, right? I know this is good for me, but it's driving me crazy. I have to get a taste. If I don't, it's crazy. Now, one thing I would like to offer you is that if you have the knowledge in your head and you don't feel it, it's not in your heart, so you like don't feel like doing it, you don't have realization that would impel you to act, just act because acting will will de- develop the habit and the desire to do it. So it's very important because sometimes we we say, "I know I should do this," but and they have all the reasons not to do it. Okay, whatever you have the reasons not to do it, good for you. You have 108 excuses. You're amazing. You could come up with so many excuses. Five gold stars for you. More excuses than any other human being in the universe has come up with. But no matter how many excuses you have. Just do it anyway. That's the point. Okay. I know I should do it, but... Okay, whatever. Who cares for your butts? Okay, I understand your butts. I feel sorry for your butts. I know why you have your butts. But just do it anyway. Because by doing it, you overcome those butts. You get the energy. And then it will go from head to heart through action. If you can't get it into your heart yet... Just act on it. It'll get. It'll knock that wall down, and that's easier. You, know, so you think, well, I just don't feel it. I don't have the realization, so I'm not going to do it. No, you're going to do it anyway, and you're going to do it daily, and you're going to build a habit. And by building that habit, it's going to become easier to do, and you're going to like to do it. Uh, very important principle, and. And one thing about excuses, I was talking to a devotee, and we have developed this sexual sobriety group now. Amazing group. It's really helping devotees. It's fantastic to be part of it. I mean, I'm not. I'm the organizer. (laughs) You're part of that group? What's wrong with you? No, I organized it, and I'm trying to facilitate it. Um. But being part of the group and seeing how they deal with one another, especially those devotees who are, have experience in the recovery movement, it's it's um, it's just nice to see that when they they understand when they come up with an excuse, they un- they're trained now to understand that's an excuse. It's just an excuse. Anything that gets in the way of them becoming sexually pure, they have been trained to understand it's an excuse. No matter how good it looks, if it's not 
if it's getting in the way of my sexual purity, it's an excuse. I thought that's a beautiful way to live, to see your excuses for what they are. So anything that gets in the way between you and Krishna, no matter how justifiable it looks, we would say generally it's just an excuse. Maybe exceptions here or there, but we would say generally it's an excuse, and it's good to see it for what it is. It can help you tremendously. Uh, um, so, Pavani is saying about thinking of others' faults. Um, you know, one one thing we can ask ourselves is, don't you have anything better to do than think about other people's faults? Are you bored? Your life is so lackluster, so shallow, nothing going on in your life? And the answer is for some devotees, yeah, there is nothing going on in my life other than the faults of other people. That's If the faults of other people gives you energy, I don't know, something's got to be wrong in there. That's like It's like squeezing the nectar of tamagoon, you know, you're finding a lot of juice in tamagoon. I think there's something wrong with that picture. Isn't it? Hare Krishna, Edwin. How can I get onto the WhatsApp group? Well, it depends what you are. As Charlene, a man or a woman? We're working on a woman's one. If you're a man, then just send me a Facebook message. We're working out with the leader of the woman's one how to do this. So the devotees who want to remain anonymous can. And once we solve that, I think we'll be ready to go. Krishna has empowered me to see this fault, therefore I must do something about it. Yeah, so if Krishna is kind enough to let you see a fault and you don't do something about it, and the Krishna is going to be like, well, you know, I showed you the fault and you didn't, you didn't do anything about it, so forget you. We'll stop showing you the fault. You're, you're useless. Not exactly like that. Sometimes I like, to, I like to take Shastra and put it in Southern California English. Because we can relate or modern, not necessarily Southern California, modern English, but it's something like that. You know, Krishna is always trying to help you, but if you don't want to take the help, then why does Krishna want to keep giving it? So, Krishna empowers you to see it, and if he lets you see it, thank you, Krishna, you showed me my fault, let me work on it. And Krishna will be very happy. You know, we have, we have this whole discussion about you don't have to be perfect. What Krishna's happy is that you're just better, doing better than you were last year or last week or last month or whatever. That's what will please Krishna and that's what will please Guru. Not that you have to be perfect, but just that you're a little better. So you've seen a fault, you're working on it. It's not, it's not like Krishna or your Guru is unhappy because you have the fault. He would be unhappy that you're not working on the fault. And so we think, oh, I'm so full of faults, my Guru must not like me, Krishna must not like me. It's not like that. They like it that you're working on yourself. That's that's what inspires them. Please guide me to answer to this question. I am following Krishna consciousness since many years. My whole family is vegetarian and not following ISKCON. However, my son is growing, age 13. 
He has arguments. That's good. It means he's smart. <laughs> Trying to get the C more. I'm okay. This was the egg argument. Oh, the free-range eggs. I did my best to make him understand how he's saying that scientists have proven that free-range eggs um, are not fertilized. Okay, they're still tamasic. He loves me a lot, and you can't offer it to Krishna. And you know, just say my guru told me that everything I eat must first be offered to Krishna. So. I can only eat what's offered to Krishna. And you tell him, if I were you, I would only eat what's offered to Krishna because it will purify you. It will change your life drastically. And therefore, we can't offer eggs. Discussion over. Finished. Vas. I don't eat mushrooms. Jyotirmaya. Miss Full of Light says, I don't eat mushrooms. Yeah, well, if you're full of light, you wouldn't eat mushrooms because they grow in the dark. But I cannot cut completely onions and garlic when I go back home in Greece. They will take away my nationality. <laughs> There'll be a riot in your family, you mean? They'll lock you in the room and throw, and throw darts at you or what? Um, onions and garlic have this tamasic effect. So... Um, when you take initiation, you didn't take a vow not to eat onions and garlic. You took a vow not to take intoxicants. These are just foods that have a tamasic effect. And like anything tamasic, we try to avoid it as far as possible. And if there's some unavoidable circumstance, there's worse things you can do than eating onions and garlic. That's for sure. But as long as it's not a regular affair... Um, if you're going to risk your life, they're going to chop your head off if you don't eat it. But I just find onions and garlic are so interesting because after you eat them, nobody can get within 20 feet of you and survive without getting sick. So it's like, hello, don't you think this is a weird food that makes you stink? Yeah. You know, sometimes I travel. I tell people I'm traveling. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, yeah. So lucky, the last time I was on the plane, I sat next to a guy who ate like three gallons of garlic before he got on the plane, and the whole, that whole roll stunk like a skunk, and I had to sit next to him. Yeah, you want to travel? That's what you go through. I mean, this is real life, and this is serious real life in my life. I was next to a guy who had eaten, you know, eaten a meal full of garlic, and you could smell it all, and I had to, breathe, I had to put cloth over my... No, so I wouldn't breathe it in. It was obnoxiously disgusting. So, if they like obnoxiously disgusting aromas, what can be done? Anyway, that's the principle. You know, sometimes you can't avoid, but pray to Krishna. Maybe he'll give you an idea. Oh, I have the idea. Mrs. Full of Light, full of light. I don't know, think your relatives will believe it. He's got, I went to the doctor. You'll never guess what he said. I'm allergic to onions and garlic. That must be why I don't like them. Really? Yeah, he says, worst thing for you. Don't ever eat onions and garlic again. It's like, it's going to ruin your health in 26 different ways. Who knows? A little white lie to protect your bhakti, maybe. 
Okay. Mahaprabhu is recommending devotees lie to their parents. What kind of movement this is? It's just a cult. Now, whether you do that, Miss Full of Light, that's another thing. But, you know, I'll leave that up to you. Hare Krishna. Uh, follows a long question which also asked to other devotees but couldn't find a satisfying answer. Can you please help me with these? Yeah, you could send me a message and then I'll, I'll answer it. Oh, here's the question. <laughs> okay, here's the long question. Okay, everybody, you get to see the long question. This just shows that with my left hand, it takes me four hits to get the Seymour to work. With my right hand, it takes one. This is a long question. Okay, I think, Gitanjali, can you send me that question to my Facebook Messenger? Or to my WhatsApp? Because that's long. And this really long. So, um, so rain, you should only eat, only eat food offered to Krishna, we can't offer eggs. And eggs is not good for your brain, consciousness. Uh, yeah, so Gitanjali will deal with that. Okay, later. You write me. I've experienced that people who are resistant to the concept of karma and to accepting that we bring things on ourselves feel that they're being blamed for their misfortune as though the victim, there are no victims. Uh, what do they say in the, the self-development world? There's no, there's no victims, only willing, willing volunteers. You, know, you volunteer to destroy yourself. Blame for their misfortune, as though the victim is being blamed. Karma is a really sensitive topic, yes, to discuss. People, because you can very easily be labeled as callous or accused of spiritual bypassing or spiritual whitewashing, definitely which I've certainly witnessed devotees do to others. In my experience, you can't talk to new people about karma until you have earned their trust and become their friend. And then we have to tread really carefully so as not to hurt their hearts, which is so easily done. Yeah, there, I understand that principle. There... There are more practical ways to explain karma that, that are often explained in the self-development world that I think people can get, like your life is a scorecard type thing. You know, look look at your life and you'll you know, look at your life and you'll see what you're doing. The difficulty comes when people suffer tremendously. Then you know it's totally insensitive to say this is your karma. But you know the other side from the philosophical just for us to discuss. One one thing that karma explains is is that you, you know okay but if it's 
it can appear insensitive to say that you deserve this, but it's also insensitive to say you didn't deserve it. <laughs> so of the two, what's worse? You know what I mean? Because karma explain you know karma explains why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people. It, it explains that. It does, it, otherwise, it makes God seem like out of control or unjust. So it does resolve the dilemma. And so, so it's kind of a catch-22 in a sense. Well, if I don't explain it as karma, then it's random. And, then, and if, if there's a God and it's random, then it puts bad in a God position. Get God in a bad position. And if it's karma and it's something we earned and it's not, it's just the law and he's not punishing or rewarding, it's just you're getting the results. That makes more sense. But also, in the practical sense of the world, in the practical sense of karma, we can see it practically. Like every day, we're getting results for what we do, for how we act, how we deal with people, what we eat how we exercise or don't exercise, how much we uh, intellectually stimulate ourselves or not. So that being true, and that's observable, why in a broader sense would we say it phases out at some point just because we can't remember what we did in the past? So I, coming in, maybe this will help you. I was in a workshop, which was a secular workshop, but they had spiritual principles. Like maybe you can't call it secular. Anyway, it wasn't Krishna conscious. They had spiritual principles, so they understood karma, and they they expressed karma within the, uh, very strongly within the self development context. And you know, it works for most people who have not been traumatized in their life or unjustly unjustly treated. And I said, okay, how do you deal with a child who's been raped, how do you explain karma to them? And she said, I explain principles and I let them investigate it and see how that works for them. And interestingly, one devotee said she was abused by her mother, like apparently her whole childhood. And just, she had a really hard time with it. And over the years, in contemplating it, of course she's a devotee, so her position's different, but she came to the realization that this was actually how she treated, she treated her mother in her past life. This also happened to another girl, I was told. Actually, the woman, this woman who told me about her life, she told me, she was a devotee, she told me about another girl she was counseling who was raped, and somehow or other, it woke her up to many, many things, and not that she'd want that to happen again, but it actually had a positive effect. And it generated also a desire to help other girls prevent this from happening. So, so sometimes people have this, this ability to see positive and negative when they're accepting of the principle. But if you try to force it on them, especially someone who's been abused, that's that's a no-no. But if you can express express general principles, starting from well, this is what we see in life. You prepare for your test, you do well. You eat well, you get healthy. 
then expanding it on to, well, let, well, let's look at our life and say, okay, I can, I can understand what I'm doing in my life is producing result. Well, let's, but there are other results coming to us, so either it's, it's, it's cause and effect or it's random. And Kamenia, this in this same course, the creator of this course, this guy's like a genius. And he said, he said, you know, I can't prove 100% that karma is true, but I believe in it. And he said, the reason I believe in it is because I want to see a world that is just, where people who commit, who commit crimes pay for it. It makes sense to me that that's the way the world would be, and that people who do well would be rewarded for it. And then he said something interesting. He said, that's why we believe things. We believe things because we you know, believe things that we can't see because I, either it's logical or we, we want to believe them because they're logical. It, it's the, the way it makes sense to our world. So sometimes in discussing this, we can you know, present, present the alternative. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be a better world if people... Would re were rewarded for doing good and people were punished for doing bad and most people would say yes that's that's the way the world would be it's just the problem when you put yourself in it and you don't remember what you did then it's difficult another devotee had um, a big court case against him for child molestation which he swears up and down he didn't do and like three years later he said I must have molested a child in my other past life to have this kind of karma so sometimes in reflection people can come to that conclusion. So sometimes it's nice just to throw it out there. Like, here's the philosophy. I don't know your situation. This is how it's explained, the law of karma, whether you accept it or not. I'm just giving you the explanation as it's given in these books. Think about it. See if that applies to your situation, and we can talk more about it. But to tell them, you know, you did this because you're a bad person, and you, you raped someone in your last life, that's why they raped you, that would... I never saw Prabhupada do that. That would be wrong. And ultimately, you can't even say that for sure, that that's exactly what happened and why it happened. And and also, karma is such that it, it's hard to just pinpoint everything exactly, especially as Kali Yuga is progressing. There are other factors that play into it. Anyway, that's my two cents. Well, that was more than two cents, probably $2.50. But those are some thoughts. I don't know if that helps, or you're still you're still like, no, no, Prabhu, that's good, but you know, um, people are new. I'm not going to talk much about it. Okay, whatever. I have a chapter on karma from my new book. You want to see it? I can send it to you. You just send me a message. I'll send it to you. Maybe that'll help. Okay, there's the WhatsApp number. That's in England. If you want to be in our WhatsApp group, um, I don't know if Charlotte Charlotte was. What, saying you want to be on the WhatsApp group or the sexual sobriety? Yeah, if it's the WhatsApp group, no problem. Suresh Radash says, My question got skipped earlier. You spoke of challenges, Maya and Krishna. If you are already thinking of Krishna and surrendering in good times, then why does, <laughs> why does Krishna give you a slap? Because you need it. It's amazing how hard it is with my left hand to hit Seymour and how easy it is in my right hand to practice. Um, why does Krishna allow you to go through challenges? Other times challenges can be very depressing. So how do we understand them properly? 
The same way. There's other, other two reasons there are going to be challenges. You did something and you're getting a reaction. And there's a challenge. You know, you didn't deal with someone properly. Or Krishna is pushing you a little bit. That's why. I could give a third reason, but the third reason is more difficult to back up with Shastra or the Acharyas. And then the third reason is, well, maybe not so difficult. You're in the material world, so don't expect everything to be rosy. You know, sometimes it's, it's not my karma, yeah, but you have a general overall karma, generic karma, you're in the material world. So, you know, you, you live in Bangalore, if that's the Sureshwar Das, I think it is. You live in Bangalore, so, you know, what's your karma live in Bangalore? You, you get the weather karma, you get the air pollution karma, you get the noise karma on the street. You get so many things. You get, you know, whatever vegetables or, and fruits you buy that are full of pesticides. You know, it's like, it's all part of the package, you know. It's just like, you're in the place of misery, so, you know, the the guns are being the bullets are being shot and if you're in line of fire you're probably going to get hit sooner or later so that's also another reason it's just um i think that's that's an answer often uh, that makes it a little easier to understand why is this devotee suffering well we're in the material world you know anybody who's not suffering you know you I mean, you know devotees in in Ukraine, and then they had to move out of their homes. You know, like was that all devotees' bad karma? Everyone in that town. You're in the material world, and you've got a crazy guy in charge of Russia. So, you know, you're suffering. You know, you'll see religious people suffer at the hands of demons, and it's unfair. And so sometimes it's like that. It's just you're in the material world, and they're demoniac people. Do you know? Do you know the story that? Srila Bhakti Siddhanta uh, was going to do a, a go on a prakrama, and there was a rumor that some people were trying to kill him. I think it was the Brahmins were trying to kill him because he was exposing them. And the devotees got the rumor, and one of his disciples who looked like him dressed up like him, and Bhakti Siddhanta wore white, so they didn't recognize him, just to protect him. So even your Bhakti Siddhanta, you know, you're descending from the spiritual world, but you're in this world, you have a body, so you, know, you can't, can't avoid these things, right? So that's the other reason. This is kind of the generic universal reason. According to our Dharma, we're not supposed to eat any type of eggs, no matter if it's fertilized or not. My whole family... We've been following that ritual since years and years as I have been born in Vaishnava. Good. But your son, your son, my son was born in London and have been vegetarian as well as not growing up. Uh, coming with his own idea, but yeah. Well, that's the challenge you have when your kids grow up in a different culture. Luckily, he would never ask me I would not ever think of eating animals. It's a very kind heart. Yeah, so just explain Krishna's. But, you know, when your kids grow up in the West, there's another layer of challenges that you may not have in India. Of course, India now is pretty much like the West in many ways. Vijaya Lakshmi said, Prabhupada said, even if you don't feel like chanting, chant anyway. One day, develop a taste. If you don't feel like dancing, dance anyway. 
Okay. Hing is a nice substitute for garlic. Yes, good point. Is rape a karmic reaction? They'll save that for another lesson. You know, I have... I have to meditate on this a little more because more and more as Kali Yuga degrades, there's going to be more and more rape. And so, you know, it's, it's the easiest thing to say is, well, that girl who was raped was a guy in her last life and raped someone else. All those child prostitutes were guys who engaged with child prostitutes in their last life. You know, that's, that's like the easy, generic, you know, ABCs of karma. But it doesn't take into consideration the realities where Prabhupada talks about how people suffer under the rule of bad leaders. And then you, so does that mean the bad leaders are there because everyone has had bad karma, or does it mean they, that their suffering increases because of bad leaders? It appears to be the latter. That being the case, if we take that idea, that being the latter, that people suffer, that means there's going to be more suffering as Kali Yuga progresses, which we know is true. And that suffering is going to be due to bad leadership, which allows these things. And then innocent people suffer. So that's that's the big question and the big, you know, controversial argument. Can innocent people suffer? Because according to the law of karma, no, you can't. There's no question you would have had to do it. But because karma is also interchangeable, then you're existing in a society that's degraded where there are no Brahmins and Kshatriyas, and everybody suffers. And Prabhupada talks about that in his books and how we have to establish Krishna consciousness so people won't suffer. And, and then you could say, well, they're destined to suffer, but if there's devotees, they won't suffer. See, it's a very nuanced, complicated question. And if somebody is a rape victim, they need compassion. They don't need to be preached about. Just your karma, Sally. You know, get over it. No, don't preach like that. Please don't preach like that. Ah, uh, if you preach like that, ah, don't do it. And devotees, Prabhupada never did that. Prabhupada sometimes spoke philosophically, your happiness and distress is destined. But, you know, when he would see the atrocities in the world, the animal slaughter, the abortion like that, it was just it was painful for him. And he never said, yeah, but don't worry about it, they all deserve it. So we should never think that way. We should always... At least the answer to your question is we should do whatever we can to help people become Krishna conscious and that will then, more people become Krishna conscious that will prevent these atrocities from going on. And, you know, the question is should we have shelters for girls and this and that? It's, that's a discussion because they'll all become devotees. So it is a good Bhaktin program. Could be, you know, you can rescue rescue all the the girls who are in sexual slavery and put them in an ashram and make them devotees. I'm sure they'll be very happy to get out of that situation. You know, um, you could say, no, I'm not going to do that because it's their karma. They just, that's where they're, they're, no, we don't think that way. We always think how to help them. So the answer to your question is, even if we don't have an exact answer, the answer is we can help them. You might say, but if it's their karma to suffer, 
won't they just suffer? And we'll say, no, because we give them Krishna and we can interfere with their suffering by giving them Krishna and dissolving their suffering. So that's, that's kind of the answer where your question leads to ultimately in a practical way. Right? Physical and emotional abuse, a karmic reaction. I mean, giving it to someone or getting it? Well, definitely you'll get a reaction for doing it. That's for sure. And just basically, you know, what we understand is the pain you give to others, you will get back. So, so generally, if, if you're looking at something and say, well, this is definitely a karmic reaction, it's just a reaction to the pain you gave to someone else or the distress you gave or the happiness or the benefit you gave or the disaster you created. It's just come, coming around. That's generally how we understand. Okay. New book? Eh, not so new. Living the Wisdom of Bhakti but maybe new to you. I would like to be in the WhatsApp group. Okay, so the number is above. If you look above, or if you see my daily... Oh, Warsaw. There's in Warsaw. If you... Eh, cold weather. So now you have to suffer cold weather in the winter for being in Warsaw. Cold weather karma. That means in your last life you stole someone's heater, Sureshwar. Now, you now you're in Poland where you have to be cold. That's definitely what it means, 100%. No, we're not fanatics. We don't think that way. Um, and you can go up and get my address to WhatsApp. And then just go up under the name of Satyarupa. She put it there. Or on my webpage, mahatmadas.com, or at the end of any of my at the end of my daily videos that has the number there. Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer, where are you from? I know a girl named Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> you know, Jennifer says she wants me to be her guru. And I could talk about this. It's such an important topic because it's like someone doesn't become your guru someday. Someone is your guru. If, if you have faith in a person and you, and you hear from them and you, and you, then the person is your guru. But when you say someday means take initiation, but before that they are your guru. So it's not like someone becomes your guru. Someone is your guru. And you become qualified and someday you can take initiation. That could be next year or, or 50 years. That's not as important as you becoming a disciple and accepting that person as your guru. So, that's probably what you meant, but I just wanted to clarify that. And Prabhupada is also your guru. And um, you should take the ISKCON disciple course because before you choose a guru, it, it's, it's mandated, although this isn't done everywhere. You should... Take the ISKCON Disciple Course. It just helps you understand the whole topic better. And then it helps you confirm if this person, I really want this person to be my guru. Or maybe now I just want to focus on my relation with Prabhupada and think about uh, my guru later. So look for that course. It's got to be online because it's the only way to take it. It's called the ISKCON Disciples Course. How to understand Prabhupada's comment about women like rape, um, Somebody said that the word rape in Prabhupada's lexicon doesn't just means a man who's sexually strong. The 
problem is I looked up the definition of the word rape in like old English, 1900s, and it means the same thing. So obviously, you know, it means what we mean it to mean today, but obviously the context that Prabhupada was referring it to was not that some innocent girl likes to be raped. It's just, <laughs> I think what Prabhupada meant is women like guys who are good in sex. It's it's a whole topic, uh, and it includes other things that Prabhupada said that are difficult for us to understand. And the best way to understand Prabhupada is understand Prabhupada in the context of everything he says, because then you'll, you'll think, well, he couldn't have meant what I think he meant, because everything else he says doesn't support this. So you have to see it in that sense, you know. Women like men who are good at sex, who are aggressive and, you know. I think he also meant sometimes they're so aggressive um, that maybe they're reluctant, but they enjoyed it. You know, it's like, that's all I can say. And I, I don't remember the context of that statement, so, yeah. Oh, you already read it. Yeah, I don't have a new book yet. New books will be coming, volume two, and we'll have a book on Prabhupada someday. Like a new Spice Girls group, this kind of edition. Bakhtin Sivlion and Bakhtin Jelo. Oh, yeah, okay, we'll have to do a CD. We'll have to do a CD. Uh, from Mexico, okay. Okay, and if I click here, yeah, I could. Okay. There's probably a lot of Jennifer Lopez's in, in Mexico, right? Okay, so we'll end here. You got an extra thirteen minutes for no extra charge today. We will send you we'll send you the bill later for all the extra time. <laughs> okay, today is Tuesday. All right. So tonight, um, for those of you who don't speak English and definitely and you speak Spanish, definitely tonight you should come at seven o'clock. We're talking about forgiveness and related topics. But of course I'm speaking in English, so everyone who's awake at that time and has time is invited to come. And those those classes, they they focus around forgiveness, but so many other topics come up, just like today we didn't even read, so many topics come up. But all these topics are important, they're on your mind, and so we let devotees ask them, clear the doubts. Um, Krishna consciousness is very transcendental, and sometimes we really need to clear things up. It's not always easy to understand. And... The last thing I will say is sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll hear something and it's going to take hearing it many times and also becoming purified over the years to, to, to understand more clearly because it's not just an intellectual process. You have to be purified. And sometimes you can't understand something until you're purified. And there may be things that you'll never understand because they're contra they just, there's so many contradictions about the topic. And it's like, I don't understand this because here I read this, here I read that. Oh, I want to end with some information I got this morning that I was reading. That was very interesting. I was reading about the fall of Jayan Vijay. And I found out that when Jayan Vijay fell, what fell was a portion of them. They actually stayed in Vaikuntha. Isn't that interesting? And then a portion of them fell. At least that's one explanation. Maybe in one millennium it happened that way, if not every millennium. Uh, uh -uh. Okay, you're all going to get a bill from me. Send me your email. I'll send you the bill for overtime classes. Um, no, you can pay me back in taking my instructions. Taking the instructions 
I've given you put in, putting them into practice. That that's your payment. And not only your payment, but when you hear, it's your obligation to put it into practice. Otherwise, if you don't, then it dries up. Okay, Hare Krishna to all of you. Nice to see you. We will either see you later tonight or... Oh, Kamaniya, or tonight. Kamaniya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Hare, Hare. That one? Well... Havi's daughter sang that melody and Havi came over and played a string part for it, which was mind totally mind blasting. If you're interested in hearing it, I could send you a copy. It was like he just sat down and we pulled some string samples up and he did an accompaniment to that melody. And I is that your original melody or where did it come from? Um, it was interesting. So if you want to hear it, I can send it to you. Everyone's going, I want to hear it too. Well, it's kind of private. I don't think he wants to distribute it to the universe. But um, he's amazing. It's kind of like that melody with an orchestra behind it. So, Hare Krishna. Sri the Prabhupada Ki Jai Go Premanandi Hari Hari Bo. Go Ranga!